Thank you, Ken. I remember that night very clearly. Some of you were in that service. Remember the first time that I was in the class and I spoke at First Baptist on a Sunday night? There were about 50 of us from our Sunday school classes there, and I spoke on You Must Be Born Again. I remember that night clearly because uh, there was a man who came sort of running down the, the aisle. A uh, man, I would say, that's right, would fit right in with our age group here at the church and uh, was wonderfully saved. And then, I believe it was that evening, I'm not sure, maybe the next evening, Pat Riley uh, sent me an email and wanted to argue. Uh, she said, I'm not sure I'm saved or not, but, uh, you know, I did this. And I wrote back, and I said, well, gave her an answer. And uh, she wanted a formula. <coughs> Give me a little ABC formula of how I can be saved. And I said, no, I'm not going to do that. I said, because you've already done the ABC type thing. And I told her she needed to struggle with the Lord until he won. Do you remember those conversations that we had back and forth on the bench? I really, there were a point where you didn't like me too much, probably. <laughs> but I wasn't going to give her one of those formulas. I knew what it was going to take in her situation. Sometimes God just gracefully saves somebody just like that. But in her situation, she had all this information up in her head already. She didn't need to know more information. She needed, just needed to surrender her will to the Lord. And uh, it took a month, but he got a hold of her. <laughs> That's what happens when you're what we call radically saved, so it's very interesting. Okay, take your Bibles and let's open up to Luke chapter 10. And we're going to finish out this chapter, and we're going to come to the section today, which is Luke's account of Mary and Martha, two sisters, and the other Gospels, including Matthew and Mark and John, have even longer stories of Mary and Martha. And Luke has a shorter version, but it's important. And Luke puts the story of Mary and Martha, which begins in verse 38, and dumps it right here in his gospel uh, for a purpose, because he wants, to, he wants to drive home a point that he's been trying to make throughout the gospel. This event didn't take place chronologically where Luke puts it. It takes place right before Jesus goes into Jerusalem, the last week of his life. Uh, but Luke sticks it here. And so why would he put it out of place? Well, because, like I said, he wants to drive home a point. Use this as an illustration to drive home a point that he's been making throughout his gospel. Now, in order to understand this story in its context, you need to have some background information. And I want to tell you about three incidents that we've already covered in the gospel. The first incident was the parable of the sower. Remember that? Four kinds of seed. And then he talks about, Jesus talked about one kind of seed, that fell among the thorns. And the, the apostles said, well, what does that mean? And he said, well, the seed is the word of God, and the thorns that it falls among are the cares of the world. <clears throat> and the cares of the world choke out the gospel, or the word of God, and there is no fruit. And thus, there's a person who starts out professing faith in Christ, but... They get diverted, their attention gets diverted, and they start worrying about the things of the world, and they leave their attention off of Christ and put their attention on the things of this world, the concerns of the world. So that's the first thing you need to remember. The second thing, incident, is when Jesus sends out the 12 and the 70, and he tells him, whatever city you go to, knock on the door of the first house, and if they accept you, you go in and receive their hospitality. Remember that? 
the story of hospitality. If they don't accept you and the gospel, dust your feet. Okay, that's the second thing, which speaks of judgment. The third incident that I want to remind you about is what we covered last week, and that was the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the story was, uh, there was a man who fell among the thieves, and he was left half dead. And two religious people walked by, and they looked at him. They initially looked at him. But then they turned to their attention to their own business because they had things to do and they went to the other side of the road and they passed by. But there was one man, a despised Samaritan, whom we call the Good Samaritan, which is an oxymoron for a Jewish person. The Good Samaritan would be an oxymoron. And the Samaritan looks at the man and guess what he does? He gives his full attention to the man and forgets about his own affairs. So those are the three stories. The story of the sower, remember that. The sending out of the twelve and the seventy, and the good Samaritan. Now with that, you'll see how this fits into context and why Luke puts it here. Look at verse 38. This is Luke 10, verse 38. Now it happened, as they went, that is the apostles along with Jesus. This is a, a journey event again. Jesus is heading toward Jerusalem that he entered a certain village. Well, we know in the past that he was entering villages. He was sending out a, an advanced team who would go in there and spy out the area before he arrived, before he preached the gospel. John tells us that this village is Bethany. Okay, so they're on their way, and it says Jesus enters the village. The advanced team's already been there and so forth. Now look what else it says in verse 38. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him, received him into her house. And so she says, come on in, and she shows initial hospitality. Uh, Jesus, like other traveling rabbis and his students, were dependent upon hospitality. Jesus had no place to lay his head. If he was going to sleep that night, somebody either had to open the door of their house and show him hospitality, or he'd have to sleep outside under the stars. And so that's the situation. So she shows initial kindness. Now look at verse 39. And she, that's Martha, had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, I wanted to make a couple observations. First thing I want you to think about is the person of Martha. Uh, I'm convinced, convinced that Martha is the older sister in this situation. She's the one who is in charge of the house. She's the one who's doing the speaking. She invites him in. She walks him, welcomes Jesus in. And Mary is called her sister. So what we have here is probably Martha is the one who's the head of the household. Uh, and she is probably the older sister. Now notice Mary in this situation. Notice what Mary is doing. First of all, it says in verse 39, she sat at Jesus' feet. <clears throat> Literally, she is sitting at Jesus' feet. That is the position of a student before a teacher in Bible time. A disciple before the master. John says in the Revelation, he said, And I fell at his feet. It is the mark of submission. It is saying the teacher is more important than you. You are a learner. And so to fall at someone's feet or to sit at their feet 
is the sign of submission, being a student. Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, the book of Acts says. That means Gamaliel was a teacher, Paul was a student, Paul was submitted to his teacher. So she is submitted. This is the sign of a disciple. Okay. Now notice what else she's doing in verse 39. And she heard his word, or she was listening to his word. Sort of an imperfect tense. Imperfect means in the past, when she was sitting there, she just kept sitting there. And she just kept listening to his word. She is engrossed in what he has to say. She is, uh, gives her undivided attention to his word. She's soaking it in. That's what we have here. She's soaking it in. Verse 40. But Martha was distracted. One is sitting there soaking it in. But Martha was distracted with much serving. One translation says with many tasks. Probably refers to housework or uh, serving the table. It has to do with cleaning the dishes and preparing the food and washing the dishes and all these kinds of things. That's what Martha is. She's distracted. But I want you to notice something. I'm convinced that Martha initially was sitting at Jesus' feet just like her younger sister. Because there's a word in verse 39. It's, it's the word also. Verse 39 is the word also. Now you can look at it in your translation. Some translations say this in verse 39. Martha also had a sister. That's what some translations say. Now the problem is that word also can be put anywhere in the sentence. And the New King James puts it somewhere else. Because Martha also had a sister. Why didn't you say Martha had a sister? Why would you put also right there? Look where the New King James puts it in verse 39. She had a sister called Mary who, what? Also sat at Jesus' feet. If Mary also sat at Jesus' feet, that means who else was sitting at Jesus' feet? Martha, but look at verse 40. But Martha was distracted. You see the difference? One is soaking it in. The other one says, oh, the dishes need to be done. Oh, that needs to be cleaned up. Oh, we need to put the things away in the cupboard. Oh, we need to get after these herbs. See? She's, she is distracted. But Martha was distracted with serving. Now look what else it says. And she, that's Martha, approached him and said, Lord... Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Don't you care that I'm left to, to have to do all the work? Now, what kind of question is that? Notice it's a question. There's a question right here. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work? Now, if I ask you to, to take out a piece of paper and a pencil and, and write, what kind of a question is this? And I thought about this all day yesterday, and I came up with five possibilities of what kind of question this is. 
First of all, it could be a charge of insensitivity. A ch really, it's a question, but it's really, what it really is, is a charge of insensitivity. She's saying, Jesus, don't you care? <laughs> See? Why are you so insensitive? How can you let this happen? Now, that's what it could mean. That's one possible meaning. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Or it could be a claim of injustice. By asking the question, she's just claiming that this isn't fair. I'm doing all the work. She's soaking it in. Claim of injustice. Some of you are lawyers. Everybody claims, clients claim that they're not getting justice many times. If it's a claim of injustice, you know, while she sits there, I have to slave in the kitchen. It could be righteous indignation in that sense. Or it could be, uh, the question could be showing an attitude of jealousy. See, Martha wants to sit there just like her younger sister. She's jealous. I want to do this, but if I do this, if I sit there, who's going to do the dishes? Yeah, I'd like to be sitting there too. So it could be jealousy. And therefore, if that's the case, it would be resentment. He resents that she has to do the work while her sister has the fun. Or it could be an attempt to get Jesus on her side. Sort of a sibling rivalry. You know, She's trying to solicit Jesus' support. And... You know, this is what people try to do. You always, you know, I was just reading a book in, last night, in fact, about a theologian uh, who had, uh, who wrote some, wrote a controversial, himself wrote a controversial book, and many people criticized the book. And he determined who his friends were, whether they supported his view of what he wrote or whether they supported someone else's view of what he wrote. So, in other words, if you're not on my side, then you're my enemy. So she's trying to get Jesus to support her, saying, oh, that's okay, Martha, sure, you should be doing that. And your sister, you know what, she should be doing it too. She's trying to get Jesus to be on your side, so it could be that. Or she could be trying to get pity. Poor me, look at me, Jesus. I have to do all the work. She's like, me do it all. Sympathy, she's getting the sympathy book. Now, I think that it has elements of all of that, but it's very interesting. If you look in verse 40, look at the word me and my in there. Martha was distracted with much serving. She approached him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left, look at this, me to serve, a Lord, uh, serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. This is about me. It's all about Martha. Now, by the way, the worst thing you can ever do with a guest is ask them to take sides in a civil sibling rivalry. Would you agree with that? That is where you stop showing hospitality. That's where you're showing hostility. By the way, there's many times that people come to Jesus and they say, my brother is trying to cheat me out of inheritance. What should I do? Jesus refuses to get involved in those kinds of things. So here is Martha, who has initially shown great hospitality, but now look what she's doing. She's trying to get Jesus to take sides. Uh, she's causing friction. 
And that's not what you want to do, is to invite your guests to get involved in the family conflict. So, while Martha gets off to a good start, and I think she does, her hospitality is short-lived, and her listening to the Word of God is short-lived. And it all, she starts feeling sorry for herself. She wants to sit there too, but who's going to do the work? And all the different things that I said, it's all about her, okay? Now, it's interesting that in verse 40, Martha calls Jesus Lord. She says, Lord, don't you care? But in reality, it's not about what the Lord wants. It's about what she wants. It's all about her, okay? So, while she's distracted, notice that. Martha was distracted. That's the key verb. While Martha is distracted, Mary is giving rapt attention to Jesus' teaching. Okay? Now look at the end of verse 40. Very interesting. Therefore, Martha says, tell her to help me. She makes a command, a demand of Jesus. Tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. How I would have loved to have just grabbed you and brought you together like a mother hen grabs her chicks, but you wouldn't do it. That's called a double vocative. And that is a statement that's uh, filled with emotion. And so you repeat the subject twice. Martha, Martha. Filled with emotion. So it's not like he's uh, being mean to Martha. He says, Martha, Martha. It's not one of those kind of things. It's Martha, Martha. Now watch this. You are worried and troubled about many things. Now notice, the demand is, tell her to help me. And Jesus refuses to find fault in Mary. Instead, he finds fault in Martha. He says, I find two faults in you right now. You have two problems. Number one, look, you are worried about many things. Notice the previous verse. She was what? Distracted. Now look at that. You are worried about many things. Probably these household chores, okay? Worried about many things. You are anxious, is another word, way of saying it. This is an inward Frustration, okay? An inward condition. You are worried, you're anxious about many things. Now you have a second problem. You are troubled. Look at that. You are troubled. Put it this way. You are upset about many things. You're agitated about many things. That is an outward condition. Inwardly, you're worried. Oh, what are we going to do about this? You have an inward problem. You're worried about many things. You have an outward problem. You are upset. And you're agitated about many things. Two problems, but notice many things. Those two, two conditions affect and are concerned about a lot of different things. Like the parable of the sower. The sower goes out and sows the word. And the word is choked out by 
cares, by worries. She was sitting there listening to the word, but guess what? She's distracted and she starts caring about these other things and the word is choked out. So we see why that parable is very important here. Then Jesus adds this. But one thing is needed. Now notice, at the end of verse 41, you're worried about what? Many things. Only one thing is needed. Only one thing is essential. You're concerned about all these things that aren't important. They're non-essentials. You're distracted. That's not where your attention should be. Only one thing is needed. What is that one thing? You know, some translations say only one meal is needed, which is very interesting. Maybe she says, boy, we have to get this together and get this together. Jesus says, hey, we've had enough food. I don't know that that translation is a good one. But it still makes sense. Only one thing is needed. What's the one thing that's needed? It's the thing that Mary's doing. Soaking in the word of God. Not getting distracted when the gospel of the kingdom is being explained. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these other things, they'll be taken care of. They'll be added. No, you don't have to worry about that. There's only one thing that you need to be concentrating on, and that's the Word of God. That's the gospel of the kingdom. I mean, how often do you get a chance to sit at the feet of Jesus? I mean, he only came to their house a couple of times in his three-year ministry. Everything else can be put on hold. They're not essential. Amen. When a prophet comes to your house, you want to hear the words of God from the prophet. I mean, that's, that's the essential thing. Not get up and say, hey, this burner is not working over here. <laughs> Martha is too busy for Jesus. Now watch, although she's doing good things. There's absolutely nothing wrong with what she's doing. She's doing things that are good, things that are right, things that eventually need to be done. But she's too busy for Jesus. Now look at the end of verse 42. He says, And Mary has chosen the good part. Only one thing is needed. And Mary's chosen. It's that one thing that's essential. Actually, it can even be translated. Mary has chosen the better part. What you're doing is okay, but Mary, it's fine to do things like that when it's time to do things like that, and they're not distractions. But Mary has chosen the good thing. The word part is not really the right word. It's just Mary has chosen the good. She's chosen the one thing that is essential. What is that? Sitting and listening 
to the Word. And notice the end of that verse. Which will not be taken away from her. Everything else, look, which will not be taken away from her. Everything else is temporary. Amen. Or, but the word of God will live forever. Or, Jesus is saying, Martha, no. I'm not going to tell Mary to get up and help you. She can stay right here and study the word of God and hear me talk as long as she wants. That's not going to be taken away from her. Which is probably the right answer in the context. So, Jesus commends Mary. He finds no fault in her. Martha's doing something that's good when it's needed, but Mary is doing something that is bad. So he says, no, Martha, I will not tell Mary to get up and help you, because that's what she said. Command her to get up and help me. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it. Or to put it in today's language, chill out. <laughs> Sit down here and relax, will you? <laughs> That's what he's saying. Why are you so uptight and worried about all these things? Now, let me give you a couple lessons from this. Can I do that? I'm going to give you five lessons that I think that we can draw out of this passage. Okay? Lesson number one. Just as the Good Samaritan uh, gave his full attention to the man by the wayside, So Mary is giving her full attention to Jesus. As the priest and the Levite, Levite looked at the man and then went on with their own business. Oh, we should help that guy. Ah, oh, well, wait a second. What time's that appointment? <clears throat> and go on with their own business. Martha looks at Jesus, welcomes him initially, gets distracted, and she goes on with her own business. Number two. That's number two. We need to get our priorities straight. Okay? Jesus doesn't rebuke Martha's work ethic. He just says that your priorities are wrong. And I tell you, many of us have our priorities wrong. We need to make first things first. And everything else, you know, it can it needs to get done, but it doesn't need it's not urgent. Okay. You've heard the tyranny of the urgent? You ever heard that statement? Where you just think that you have to do something, but when you do it, that's guess what? It enslaves you. It takes over your life. So, we need to get our priorities right. Lesson number three. Don't allow an ordinary meal deprive you of the real feast. That's why that one translation says... Mary has chosen the good meal. And whether that's the correct translation or not, don't allow an ordinary meal deprive you of the real feast, which is the word of God. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Every word of God. So, when it comes to feasting upon the word, this is where the priority needs to go. Okay, lesson number four. Jesus sees things differently than we see things. 
Martha is upset, but she's misguided. <laughs> she is perceiving things in a wrong fashion. And Jesus, we need to ask Jesus to correct our improper perception of things. Oftentimes we look at things and we say, oh, this, 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 and guess what? We're not looking at things through the eyes of Jesus Christ. We need to get a correct perspective on things. We need to get a kingdom perspective on things. Okay? Lesson number five. <clears throat> Busyness is the enemy of devotion. Busyness is the enemy of devotion. Martha initially is a proper host, but Mary is a proper disciple. And Jesus is calling us all to be disciples. It's very important that we realize that, that worry and anxiety get in the way of a relationship with Jesus. When you worry about something, you start scurrying, you're not even thinking clearly. All that busyness gets in the way of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're worrying about things and you're anxious about things, guess what you're and you're having to take care of them, guess what you're not doing? You're not trusting. You see, you're not relaxing and resting in the Lord. You're not trusting. In chapter 11, which we're going to cover next week, it's the Lord's prayer. And trusting disciples don't have to worry and be anxious about anything. Because the Lord's prayer says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Give us, what? This day our daily bread. See, trust disciples who are seeking first the kingdom of God, all these other things are added. And that's why I think Luke puts the story of Mary and Martha right here, and he puts it right between the story of the 70 going out and the parable of the Good Samaritan and the Lord's Supper. He puts it right in there because he's trying to give you a practical picture of what this theology looks like. What does it look like in a daily life? So we need to be more like Martha. Let me, t I mean Mary, let me just say something. I'm convinced, I don't believe that all preaching is good preaching. I just, I mean, that's just, I don't mean that it's not delivered well, there are people who have tremendous deliveries, but they're not giving you the Word of God. They're very entertaining. I believe that when the Word of God is opened up, and very little is said other than reading the Scripture and explaining it, when, you, when that happens, you are being given a feast. This should be your top priority. Now, in our setting, we have a Sunday school setting, and we have a church. We have a church setting where a pastor preaches. By the way, that invitation that he gave today was as good an invitation as ever been given. I'm convinced that God was speaking to people in that auditorium. One woman came after the invitation. You may have seen her. But I believe that if he would have said, you know, I believe God's speaking to you, I believe other people would have made commitments. Because he took the word of God, and guess what? It was just straightforward, the word of God. Well, I mean, it was just going reverse by verse right down there. That's a feast. That should be our priority. The Word of God, Christ, the Word of Christ speaking to us on Sunday morning. This should be our number one priority on Sunday morning. It should be, well, I think, you know, I'd like to do this, and maybe we should go to IHOP for breakfast or do... Hey, all that's going to pass. This is where we need to give our attention. This needs to have top priority in our lives. So let's take it to heart. Let's be like Mary, not like Martha. Let's trust the Lord with all of our heart. 
He'll take care of the rest. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Help us to be more like Mary. Martha seems so good. I mean, what she's doing is fine. And I think, Lord, each one of us can relate to her, just like we could relate to the elder son that the pastor talked about this morning. But we're not looking at things clearly. We've got a wrong perception. When we see it through your eyes, we see what, you're, what you want. You want repentance. You want people feasting on your word. We want, you want people sitting at your feet. This should be our top priority. Oh, Lord, help us to make, make these priorities our priorities. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <laughs>